listening to the Ed Reach Network. Ed Gamer, Episode 8 on EdReach. Sylvia Martinez says yes to Ed Gaming. Welcome to this week's EdGamer Podcast, Episode 8. EdGamer is part of the EdReach Network, edreach.us, giving education a voice. A big voice. This show is dedicated to education gaming on any platform. We'll give you the education angle on any type of games, ranging from tabletops to MMOs. Jerry, what's an MMO? Massively multiplayer online. Very good. We will discuss how these games impact student learning and how they can be used effectively within the classroom. I'm Zach. And my name is Jerry. And our guest this week, a notable intellectual, Sylvia Martinez. So, Jerry, introduce yourself there, please. My name is Jerry James. I'm a visual arts teacher at Schomburg High School in Schomburg, Illinois. And Sylvia? Uh, my name is Sylvia Martinez. I'm the president of Generation Yes, and that was a amazing introduction, most generous. <laughs> Thank you very much. I, I, I work on that. Um, my name is Zach Gilbert, and I'm your host. I'm a sixth-grade social studies teacher and language arts teacher from Normal, Illinois. Also a meteorologist. Also, also a weather geek. And a storm chaser. I want to be a storm chaser. I want the tank, like on the Discovery Channel, how they have that tank, and they just go out and chase the storms and get right in the middle of it. That would be awesome. I would love to do that. Do you, get, you guys want to join me? Uh, awesome. I think Absolutely. I'm busy that day, whichever so, day that is. Uh, so, Sylvia, uh, not a lot of storm chasing where you're from, and why don't you give us a little background and information about yourself? Yes, uh, I have to say Los Angeles is kind of, you know, a boring place for weather. We we do have our mudslides and our storms and our smog and our fog and, you know, fire and all of those things. But most of the time it's very nice. Um, so and I was born and raised here. So uh, my background is um, I, I was kind of a math science geek. I always was, you know, loved math and science when I was in school. And I went to college and got an electrical engineering degree and went to work in aerospace that was fabulous and fun, did a lot of programming with microprocessors and actually worked on the GPS satellite system, which is amazing because now I have one in my car and my phone. And when we were working on it, it was all completely theoretical. So it's wow. kind of fun to see something that you, you know, worked on like that. Um, so is the but, trademark and the GPS, does it have your name in there somewhere? Yeah, the S stands for Sylvia. That's a little known <laughs> oh, fact. Yes. Nice. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, um, yeah, there was a, there was quite a bit of this time when we didn't think it would actually work. It was, it was only theoretically possible. The hardware hadn't been invented yet. The software hadn't been invented yet. The computers weren't fast enough, but, it all came together. It was quite an amazing, um, you know, there were different companies, different people, uh, amazing talent working on some of that those programs. But um, I think uh, Sir Ken Robinson would call that divergent thinking. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. very divergent. That is amazing. It was it was very interesting, and one of the things that because I was right out of college and sort of you know they put the people with the least seniority and the least important and attractive jobs, we got assigned to all the computer programming because at the time it was considered sort of extra. The the navigation people and the people who designed receivers were the important people, so they gave all the lowly programming work to <laughs> the newbies, which uh-huh. was 
an amazing education. And it turned out that before we knew it, we were sort of in charge of the whole thing because the yeah. we needed the computer to run everything. Little so, did they know. Little did they know <laughs> what they'd done. <laughs> um, yeah, that was an amazing learning learning experience and learning community. Um, so, so you have yeah. you, uh, you, you've kind of traveled the gamut around. So you were you were an electrical engineer mm-hmm. working on GPS, mm-hmm. which S stands for Sylvia, mm-hmm. and yes. then then where did you go from there? Um, at, when I had children, I started to become really interested in education, and a friend of mine was working um, on educational games, and that was a time when a lot of educational software was being developed by teachers, and um, she had a contract with a publisher to get this big box of software that teachers had created and make it work like it worked on their computer, but it didn't work on anyone else's computer, so it was hard to sell. Um, so she called me and we sort of collaborated and in the, as part of that, she taught me a lot about education. She wasn't content just to let me program. She like loaded me down with books by Seymour Papert. I read Mindstorms. I read about learning Mm. theory and it just opened up this whole new world of, you know, thinking about how people learn and what the computer could do to support that, to make it more interesting, um, and out of that, I got a job at Davidson Associates, the home of our little friend, Math Blaster. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it, it, that's what a great mentor teacher to, to have you get totally enveloped in, in a project like that, because as teachers ourselves, it's it's one of those things that um, and we'll talk about this later, is that how, you know, games and things that are made for education really don't have that education background or we take things that weren't really made for education and we turned them into something that was used for education. So it's kind of neat to talk about because, yes, I do remember those games early on where teachers were totally involved in the uh, in the process of, of, of completing and, and creating. And, yeah, that just doesn't happen too much anymore. Well, you know, interestingly enough, it's, it's happening more now with, with the way that the, the apps are so easy, oh. easy to build. Or Sylvia? How's that? Is that any there different? Oh, yeah. yeah. No. It, and I listen. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I listen to uh, Twit, uh, Twit TV, which is out in California, which is Leo Laporte. Uh-huh. And they, they call that Cyloning. Huh. <laughs> so where just for whatever reason, all of a sudden it just kind of goes, it sounds like the Cylons. Yeah. We'll cut this somehow. But, um, yeah, uh, no, it used to be a time when teachers would uh, be part of the creative process and um you know that that was in my early days of 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 gaming um and i remember t- I, in fact i remember some teachers you know trying to put some they could actually write some of the stuff and they were putting putting some stuff together and yeah it just doesn't happen anymore uh and like i said we'll talk about that a little bit later of of why that happens and well you know uh, you can look at some of the apps in the app store that are being developed by kids and and teachers yes. i think that those days may be coming back yeah mm-hmm. yep and that makes sense it's mm-hmm. it, it's the ease of making the apps and putting those together uh that makes it uh, makes it available to more people mm-hmm. you can't just take a massively multiplayer <laughs> online game and say, hey, let's just sit down and create a game like this. Right. It, it, they're teams. They're, I mean, you're talking millions of dollars 
millions and tens of millions of dollars. Well, actually, I got into that world is after I left uh, Davidson Associates, I went to work for a consumer game company and we were building some of those million dollar, five million, ten million dollar, you know, budget um, games that went on to onto consoles. We did Game Boy games. I was and I was in charge of development. So I was in charge of artists and programmers and sound engineers and so you know the budget and producing the yeah these games and um there's amazing amazing people out there who are you know totally immersed in the game world you know and pouring their heart and soul into these things and the budget I think for an average game console game these days is like 10 million dollars yeah. and the really really you know the ones you see advertised on TV easily go into the fifty, sixty million dollar range. Oh. And that's Apologies. just for development. Yeah. So rule of thumb, marketing is at least as much as the development budget. Well so you're talking e- about an investment of a hundred million dollars. Yeah. yeah. You have it's, to sell a lot of boxes to get that back. You do, and digital downloads uh, make it make it easier too. I mean, the the margin a is a little bit. bit um, but, that really hasn't hit yet. I mean, people keep hoping that these, you know, you can do digital downloads. It's still a fairly small part of the market growing. Yeah, yeah. PC market, it's 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 gotten bigger. Yes. The console market, it's not as big. Uh, you know, Xbox Live Arcade, you know, I can mm-hmm. get some things on there. But, you know, as, as we've talked about before, Steam, which is my favorite um, gaming, I guess, gathering program, uh, downloading. I've already downloaded Portal 2 uh, as a preload. Mm-hmm. So I, I enjoy using something like that. Um, but, man, it, it's you, you're out in California. You know the money that Hollywood makes. Yes. Uh, it's it's amazing how there's not, and it's gaining, but the gaming world is is gaining ground for publicity because the money that they're making, they're blowing away, you know, when Halo sells, you know. Absolutely. It, I think it actually surpass, has yes. surpassed Hollywood movie numbers. Yes. You know, which, which is an interesting economic thing because um, the more money that these games are capable of making, the and the bigger the bet that you have to put out to to make them yeah. it tends to make fewer games that are less risky because you know you have to have 100 million dollars to put on the table you don't want to play you, you have to play it safe you know yeah. if you're if you're electronic arts you can't afford to do 100 million 100 million 100 million and have one hit right you know yeah. you've got to make everything a blockbuster which right. Hollywood always gets accused of this. They're, they're, they use the same stars over and over again, the same formulaic plots. They love to do sequels. Well, the same thing happens in the game industry, and it's all driven by economics. Yeah, Call of Duty. <laughs> Great games. Same idea. You know, They make tons of money doing mm-hmm. it. Now, I don't know, and I don't know if you know this, this aspect of it, but I'm seeing a lot more independent game developers, and I don't know if it's because – the code is a little bit easier or it's just more accessible than what it used to be. Um, but I'm definitely seeing a lot of indie games uh, that are coming on board. And when you see like consoles like Xbox Live, uh, they have their own uh, gaming code through Microsoft. And you can create your own games through there. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're kind of getting – Microsoft's getting them in early, but yet they're creating some phenomenal games. Um, but like I said – I, I and it might be, be be just me because I pay attention to the gaming world pretty closely. But I, I have seen a huge influx of independent games that are starting to get some popularity. 
Uh, maybe it's because they're just looking. People are looking for things that are a little bit different. I think you see the same cycles in Hollywood. The indie movies get really popular, and then yeah. it's back to blockbusters. And then you know somebody makes a, a lot of money on an indie, and they're you know it it swings back and forth. Yeah. Everyone's trying to follow the the big you know the big prize, the big you know million billion selling yeah. game or movie, and you know taste change. And there's a lot of factors of of why indie games are are more. Um, you know, you can develop them now and, you know, I expect to see more. Yeah. So we go from, uh, GPS to, uh, education games to, uh, big budget mm-hmm. gaming. And then where, where'd you go from there? Well, I kind of missed education. I mean, there's, there's something definitely pure about making a pinball game. It's like no one expects it to do anything, but be a good pinball game. <laughs> so you kind of miss the whole, I'm, I'm helping change the world <laughs> thing yeah. in education. And, um, I knew Dennis Harper, who was the, is the founder of Generation Yes. Um, and it was a really interesting opportunity to, to work with a, with an organization. We're a nonprofit that works with schools all over the United States and around the world. And the idea is that, um, if you empower students with some of the responsibility and give them the tools to improve education, specifically in the area of digital technology, which they have an affinity for, you know, it, it just seems like a perfect, perfect marriage. Um, and teach schools how to do that, you can really change the way schools look at technology. So that instead of trying to force technology down, you know, in most schools, the adults are about 8% of the people on any campus. Mm-hmm. And students are about 92%. And we've spent about 30 years telling this 8%, please use technology. Please, please, here's how, here's why, please, please, please. And it just doesn't happen. And we need to... Think about the 100% of the people on campus and ha- give them that same message, the same empowerment. Um, let students do some of the, the, the work of, of improving education with technology and tell them that, you know, tech- education can be better and you can be a part of that. And, and, you know, what kid doesn't want to change the world? It's a perfect win-win kind of thing. So yeah. what we and do it's- is offer kind of a combination of technology project-based um, uh, curriculum and uh, service learning. Do you see that, um, and I'm just going to play devil's advocate because, mm-hmm. you know, being in a school and being one of the tech-savvy people within my school and, and district, the the frustrating part from teachers is that, okay, we're learning all these ideas and concepts and new technologies when am I going to have time to actually sit down and use it? And if you don't use it, you definitely lose it. And that, that, that gets frustrating. And, you know, over time, you know, I've been teaching for 15 years, you know, my plate is just getting bigger. It's getting fuller and fuller of all the things that I'm expected to do. Now we're getting into standardized testing, you know, the stakes are getting higher and everything. I, I definitely see this as a way to ease that burden Mm -hmm. for the teachers. And yet, increase our technology literacy for our students Mm -hmm. and is that i mean is that what you're and you're seeing some positive impacts with Uh, that absolutely and you know what we're what we're trying to do is give the teachers support it's not that we're excusing teachers and saying oh you don't have to learn technology the kids are going to do it all definitely not what i'm saying you know it's it's not like um you know these kids are so digital savvy native they're just going to take over 
what what we what we do with schools is work on ways that adults and students can work together and that's what the generation yes yes stands for youth and educators succeeding so the collaboration between adults who have a lot to bring to the to the table they're the ones who know the content the pedagogy they have wisdom they they understand you know what the goal is in all this academic stuff we ask kids to do with the kids who have enthusiasm and passion and you know we teach them a little bit about technology well we bring those two together and they both benefit so you know we're also modeling a learning community where the student is being a teacher and the teacher's feeling more you know like a learner sometimes um, and if you give the teacher support in the classroom and they see the technology through the eyes of their students, sometimes that's the impetus they need. You know, you've been to a workshop, you've seen all the fancy stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful, blah, blah, blah. You know, mm-hmm. but when you see it in your own classroom with your own kids, you see it work, you can't deny it. And you see that it's not that hard. You see that you have students to help support you. Um, you know, we're not trying to add to what teachers are, are being asked to do. Mm-hmm. We're trying to help them get over that implementation hump. And you're building a relationship. Exactly. And that's, you know, in, and I'm definitely the type of teacher that I have to know my students. Uh, the, the better I know my students, the better I can teach them. But you were, you were talking about also that, you know, the teachers have the education background, they have the pedagogy to um, uh, of what needs to be done in the classroom. Are the students learning about that? Because I could see the technology and everything being there. They're setting up maybe a website or some type of technology that's with the lessons. Now the teacher's explaining to the student, well, this is the reason why I'm putting this lesson together this way because it deals with the state standards. It, it, it has to flow in this manner. And this is kind of the best way to, you know, to get the information to the students. Are you seeing kind of that connection? Well, we definitely have in our curriculum, um, we teach our, the Gen Yes students who are going to go out and support teachers. We teach them about learning. Um, you know, it's funny. We don't tell kids a lot about this thing that we do to them. Um, so when a Gen Yes student <laughs> goes to, to work with a teacher. Top secret. Yeah, top secret. They, they, they've been taught about the technology. They know how to get to the whiteboard cables or the Ustream, you know, the, um, the United Streaming, you know, password or mm-hmm. server or whatever. Um, they know those things. They, we've also taught them about, um, you know, assessment, what, what's a, why teachers make lesson plans, how they do it, the planning process, the assessment process, learning goals. And so a, when a student walks in, they're not just there, you know, to help out. They have a lot to bring to the table. So hopefully the teacher sees them as a, as a slightly more, you know, informed student helper than just somebody you'd pick out randomly at class and say, you know, hey, you're a kid, you must know about this stuff. Um, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. you, so, Teaching the students all of these, this background information takes a ton, takes quite a bit of time. You know, this doesn't happen the first day. Um, teachers might not all accept it the first semester or the first year. But mm-hmm. after time, when you start seeing students in this new light, a lot of teachers start to get convinced and they start coming around and going, Hey, you know, can a student help me? And they did such a great job down the hall. And, you know, I, I want to do the same thing. So, you want to work it into the culture of the school. You know, if we marched in and said, do this, do that, it wouldn't work. You know, you, you have, the school has to do things the way they do things. That's just the only way that it mm-hmm. works. 
Well, that's uh, that's exciting, and it's yeah. definitely making me want to look into it. Um, I do know there's a, a school in my area that um, they have a one-to-one initiative, mm-hmm. and they've actually uh, have some of the students that are helping out with that implementation, and fix whether it's fixing hardware, helping out with software. But I don't know if they've taken the mentoring uh, aspect uh, to where Gen, you know this program generation yes does so we hope to provide a lot of uh, resources for people so you don't have to reinvent the wheel we've got all kinds of research over a decade of research that shows that this has a positive impact on tech integration you know i um, mention our website genyes.org there's a button right in right on the home page that says free resources there's actually a white paper about um, one-to-one and, and laptop programs and how to use student tech support and peer mentoring in laptop programs. So that's free. You know, you can download it. There's lots of resources there. I, you know, love for people to go check that out. Well, it, it's it's got me, you know, I've looked at your website. I've read through it. But now talking to you, it just makes it all come clear. And, and I definitely think this is something that I could I could definitely go to my administration and, and, and talk to them about. And uh, we have some phenomenal students in our building that uh, I think would eat this up. I'm, oh, I'm kind of There excited. always are. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that kind of, you know, kind of st- streaming here because uh, one area that teachers do not <laughs> uh, – they might – and I'm making generalization here because – about technology, uh, but another area that uh, I definitely think teachers need to learn more about is gaming. And uh, I could definitely see a connection here about students teaching or showing teachers uh, about the games and using the background of a teacher to see if if a game could be viable uh, to use within the classroom. Um just thinking out loud, Sylvia. That's mm-hmm. all. No, the, we have a number of, of of schools that do do similar things. Um, you know, and it, besides that connection, there's a lot of similarities where games often um, provide the player with with a unique identity, a role to play. Um, you're at the center of the mission. There's a lot of agency and choice. You know, when you when you give those kids those kinds of 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 you know possibilities and opportunities, they rise to the occasion. So I see what what I do with Generation Yes and advocating games in the classroom as as very similar. Okay, well, this kind of let's let's kind of leads us into games and and uh, last week we uh, interviewed a teacher from North Carolina. Uh, uh, oh goodness gracious, Lucas. Lucas Gillespie. <laughs> Sorry, Lucas. Um, I had Gillespie, but I was just looking, thinking of Lucas. Okay, so okay, you'll, you'll he, clear my name by next week. So yeah, I'll stop, stop. <laughs> no, I, I follow you, and I'm following Lucas now too. But it's, his name's not name in. Too. Okay, George. So, um, <laughs> so he uses World of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about positives, positives, and negatives of gaming and what they can teach. And so what what do you see as the positives of games in education? Well, uh, you know, I think it's obvious that kids learn from games. And the question is what? You know, I I hear 
people say all the time, you know, kids just love the look at how long they spend on the Nintendo. Mm-hmm. They just stare at it for hours. And if only we could sort of Nintendo wise education, <laughs> it would all be fine. And, you know, so we kind of get this strange logical jump that because kids like games, if we made games that were school, you know, that, that, that had sort of had school snuck into them, the kids wouldn't notice and therefore would like school more. <laughs> Um, I think that's, you know, I've jumped from a positive to a negative, but I think that expectation is based on kind of a, a, a fallacy, a logical, a logical leap of faith, um, that doesn't often happen. Now, you know, like I said, it's obvious that kids learn things from, learn things from games. It's, it's also obvious that school is organized to be very ungame-like. You know, within a game, you you know, you tend to have a lot of of um, control. You have it, it's your own time, it's your own pace. You explore what you want to explore. You can take on different roles and identities, and those kind of opportunities are very rare in school. Um, it takes a real master teacher to to create learning opportunities that have some of those kinds of aspects. And I think we can actually learn a lot from games even if we don't actually incorporate games in the classroom by by looking at some of those attributes you know it's 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 pretty obvious that games are the way children learn i mean if you asked a, a psychologist if you asked you know uh an expert in child behavior that that's how children learn i mean it's that's how lion cubs learn i mean lion cubs don't sit in a classroom and and are lectured on how to you know hunt down deer that just doesn't happen it's the natural way is to play and explore and you know try out different roles and that's exactly what games do yeah and you know i keep harping back to the or talking about sir ken robinson and how you know students are his little presentation um how students are so stimulated today outside of school and yet when they come to school they they sit in a chair <laughs> and they sit in a very uncomfortable chair for a full day and you know listen to a teacher standing up in front of the classroom and uh, I'm definitely constructivist in in my thought yes there are times that I that I'm up in front of the classroom and you know I, I try to be entertaining by stories and, and sharing stories that help explain what's what we're discussing but I want them doing mm-hmm. they need to actually do mm-hmm. something. Um, and, but that's, yeah, I'm well, speaking I for myself. A, I, I think it's a real myth that constructivist means that you can never lecture. You know, it's oh, like yeah. the police are going to burst down, you know, right. the, 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 the constructivist police are going to come and burst down the door just because yeah. you happen to walk by a, a student's desk and say, you know, there's an easier way to do that. Uh, it's, it's just some, it's not either or, it's not black and white. Um, you, you know, variations. There are, right, exactly. There are things that you just, talk about you don't hopefully you don't spend 100% of your time lecturing that would be really boring Bad. but <laughs> you know i i think games kind of have a gl- give you a glimpse of what learning could look like um it's just there's a lot of hype that hasn't come true yet you know we wish that there were games that taught everything from organic chemistry to multiplication to you know good manners but a lot of those games are kind of uh, just disguised, you know, their their school content with 
the the costume of a game, you know, the look, the feel, the language. They you run down the hall and answer a multiple choice question. And it's like <laughs> uh, you, you're laughing. Uh, you, <laughs> I, I know. I've seen them. You've seen them. Uh, I mean, yeah. I'm I'm a huge optimist. I, people people always say, oh, you're so negative about games. And it's like, no. Every time I get a tweet, I get an email, I see a press release about this game that's going to revolutionize education. I rush off to the website, I download it, I play it, and it's like, oh, you know, I, I want to see something amazing, and I can't tell you the amount of stuff I see that's just horrific. And, it's, you know, ugh, it's it very gives, rare. gives games a bad name. Yeah, it, it's rare. You know, I've... I, I'm working with a program right now, and uh, I was just trying to come up with some games that I could that I could use on 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 some computers, and just I had trouble coming up with five, mm-hmm. you know, uh, for yeah. me, language arts and social studies, and of course the the top one for me is civilization, and right. I've used that for several years and aligned it to the state standards, and and just it, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of that's the other part. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to put something like this together, uh, and and it's a lot of work of creating. But it's also well, and this is the fun part. You know, I get to play the game, and you know, I I play it so I can learn it, so I'm able to utilize it to its fullest within my classroom. Jumping back though, why is it? Why is it so difficult? Why are we disappointed so often with games that? Either somebody says that, oh, this could be used in education. It wasn't really made for education, or or a game that's made for education and is just falls flat. Why why are we having so many difficulties in this area? Um, I think it's because we're expecting the games to um, change to fit this thing called school, like school with a capital S. You know, yeah. the the constraints of school, are, such as the bell schedule, the, you know, hmm. the, the separation between subject areas, the state standards, assessment requirements, you know, so we take a game that might be fun to start with, and then we start putting all these layers on top of it, that if you are a game designer, fun is number one, you know, they, they yeah. were happy to throw away reality. You know, when when you're building like Call of Duty or something, sure they use a physics engine, but if that body flying through the sky doesn't look good, they'll, you know, to hell with the with the with the <laughs> and the science. Yeah, you know, yeah. what does that matter? You want to yeah. see this cinematic, yeah. you know, death scene. These games are tuned, and they're very well tuned for emotion for. For fun, for engagement, and, and that's good once too. You, oh, it's great! But once you start to make that not your top priority, and you have to make the content fit, and it has to be playable in a 32-minute period because uh, that's the bell period, and then you take yes. attendance, and there's 30 minutes left, then you have to put the computers away. Okay, you have to stop in 30 minutes. Well, what gamer stops every 30 minutes? Yeah. You know, it, it just doesn't happen. You get in the flow. That's the fun part. Yeah. You know, so we, we expect these games to conform to school. It, it's a failure every time. Yeah. And it's, I'm just, uh, <laughs> yeah, it is, it is very frustrating. I get frustrating. I, I guess that's why, uh, civilization is not too bad. It, it is because you don't want to stop. You know, sure. you're, you're, you're building and you're like, just one more turn. I mean, that's what they're saying, <laughs> you know, just one more turn. I just want to go, but at least you can, 
you, after your turn, you can save it and come back to it. And it's where you left off. But you know, I think a lot of people have this sort of unrealistic expectation that games are, are going to, you know, you make one game and all of a sudden it's some sort of cheaper form of education. You can sort of put the kids into the organic chem sim and you then that means you don't have to hire as many teachers and it's just not right oh, just like you said scary. the teacher's role is even more important yes. you know you building that experience and a lot of it happens completely outside the computer you know the conversations the the what the kids are planning and thinking about and talking about to each other um you know if if you play civilization for days or weeks and then you give the kids a test that says well what were the three causes of world war ii <laughs> you know they're going to fail and you're going to say yeah. well they didn't learn the three causes of world war ii how can this be teaching history well everything has to change you can't do that kind of assessment so as a teacher how do you assess what they learn from civilization yeah it's there's no i'm asking you oh how do, okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's there it it is on so many different levels you you can't base it on a score it's it, and that's where it was nice having the standards i everything was broke down into certain areas you know culture uh civics people and geography and what i did was i created questions basically based from the game that i was able to connect back to my standards so when i talk about geography which is part of our state standards is okay you built your where did you build your civilization why did you build it here you know why did you build it in this location well it's it's near fresh water it's got rice it's got corn it, you know it has all these resources uh i'm near a coastline and that's going to give me these resources so but it takes time i mean it, it takes time of sitting down with the kids discussing with them uh what they are seeing what they are learning um i do a lot of journaling uh I, you know, the language arts aspect, you know, I usually have two or three kids sitting at one computer. You have one kid because you always have to have one kid clicking. <laughs> you know, they got to make the moves. You got another kid that's kind of writing down the details of what they've done. They're basically journaling. We built this. This is what we did. This, These are the decisions that we've made. Now we're researching this. We're researching pottery or, uh, you know, fishing or, you know, farming or whatever. And then I can go over and start asking them, why did you do this? But it really takes them to play the game at least a couple times, really, before I can actually sit down with them. And it's it's one of those things that I get a better idea instead of a written test, almost like an interview right? of going back through their notes Asking them questions, it's it's authentic assessment, and and then, and then I'm doing that while they're playing. I'm doing that, you know, as they're kind of debriefing and going over uh, what they've done. It's it's very difficult. So what you're describing is the the kind of classroom, you know, environment that is is necessary for games. You've you've changed your assessment. You obviously have a supportive administration because somebody's trusting you. Yeah. To, you know, not do bubble tests and, mm-hmm. you know, put it through a Scantron and yeah. trusting your professional judgment as a teacher. I mean, all yeah. of these are very important environmental considerations for making games work in the classroom. One of the biggest uh, assessments that I that I have is I have a chart. In fact, we just completed one uh, on the civilization of Greece and I break down, you know, I have culture. 
I have civics, I have people, and geography. And then it's broken down. It's it's broken down within the game of culture. You have national world wonders. You have uh, arts, uh, arts and leisure. You know, arts and um, literature and leisure, science and math and religion. You know, it breaks all these down. So we study Greece. Okay, you know, and we didn't. We haven't played the game. I'm hoping to have it by the end of this year to, to be able to do something with it. But the things that we learn, we break it down. And I ask the kids, okay, all the things you learned, all the things that you have learned, and I even have them use their textbook. Because, you know, if we're looking up information, all of us, you know, okay, I might go online. I might gather some information. That's a skill also. So what sure. they have to do is categorize the things that they've learned. So the Parthenon, okay, where does that go? Well, that could – that. That's a national wonder. That's a, you know, kind of a world wonder. They put it there. And then some kid says, you know what? That's science and math. It takes science and math to build something like that. And then somebody else pipes up and says, it's religion. It's, it's for the god, you know, the goddess mm -hmm. Athena. Just the discussion and the argumenting, mm -hmm. you argue, uh, you know, the, this debate about where a certain item goes, that is learning. And then having them explain, you know, I could ask a question. The Parthenon, can fit into three categories. You know, which one do you think it fits into and explain why? Then they look at all different aspects. You you see learning in a in a different way and I, I love it. I, I, I can't I So I think I like you've using, hit on I think you've hit on the last two um, big points about using games in the classroom. Number one is your design of of activities that encourage reflection and collaboration. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the the second one is that you have a very strong um, sense of your own theory of how children learn. Yeah. So that that I think a lot of teachers look at games and don't connect it to how they believe people learn. Because people ask me all the time, "What's the best game for you know learning math facts or history or you know whatever?" And it's like you know, there's a thousand different answers. What do you believe about how children learn? Do you believe that practice practicing fraction, you know, shooting practicing fraction, um, you know, problems creates fluency do you believe or do you believe that it, it actually hurts numeracy you know do you believe that um, taking time tests is is helping your children what do you believe about learning and then you can evaluate games and create extension activities that further support what you believe about learning yeah. and, and I think a lot of teachers don't that's sort of something they did in grad school and they don't Kind of pull it out of the of the tool the, their toolbox often enough, um, especially when you're looking at something new that you're bringing into the classroom. If it doesn't fit what your theory of learning is, it's not going to work for you. It's yeah. not going to be worth it. And my and mine's changed. I I, I remember mm -hmm. you know I have dictionaries in the back of my class and I'm about to get rid of them. <laughs> it's it's one of those things. It's like. Um, how do you guys look up words if you don't know how to spell it? Well, I go online, I open up Microsoft Word, I type it in incorrectly on purpose mm -hmm. to see how to spell it. Well, you know, I have these, I have a pocket dictionary or I have other things in my classroom that the kids can, can look these things up. My, my tools have changed, but also how I do it. So definitely the collaboration. Uh, is is a huge piece. What do we do as as a, as adults? I'm on a team of teachers. We have something that needs to be done. What do we do? We collaborate. Mm -hmm. We split it up. We work together. We figure it out. Why 
aren't our kids doing this? I mean, most jobs that I know, you know, it, the the teaming right. aspect is there, and we're teaching that. So, uh, and we do that in literacy too with Literature Circle, and um, uh, we we definitely collaborate uh, within groups and discussions. And it's wonderful. I, I, I'm glad that I, I have leadership within my district and in, in school that we can do things like that. But it's, I just, it's, it's an eye. It's taken time. I haven't always right. been this way. And I and, think, and it's, I think that it is a journey for a, a lot of teachers. And and it's very difficult to break out of this sort of, you know, Alice in Wonderland. You're running faster and faster and getting further and further behind. You know, the, the tests are coming. The the you know, we got to get through chap thirty three chapters on whatever. And it's like this sort of, you know, if it's Tuesday, it must be the French Revolution approach to, uh, you know, curriculum. Uh, it's a very prevalent in the United States. You know, everyone knows it. We all talk about how the curriculum is a mile wide and an inch deep. But when you're in it and you know the test is coming Friday and if you don't help the t- kids pass the test, they're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in trouble. They're looking at you like, why don't you just tell me what to do? How do you get out of that trap, you yeah. know, without a whole school community like yours making a conscious decision and saying, we're going to change the way we do things. Yeah. And it's, it's, and games can, it, it, like I said, it takes, takes some work. Games can mm-hmm. lead to the same knowledge that some people are wanting, politicians or, mm-hmm. or your community. The kids that play civilization, the kids that, that are in my classroom that played civilization over the years, they know more about content than the other students there's it's they learn even though it's not historically accurate they're they're comparing they compare and that's one of the other things that we do okay you build rome well you built the great wall of china and rome (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know that's not realistic okay but here's here's your roman civilization you need to look up the real roman civilization and make comparison do a comparison contrast but these kids they they have a better understanding of the main the main aspects of history and but how they'll do it, and they'll developed. do it because you've because their their gameplay has interested in yes. has interested them in it. And, yes, you know that intrinsic motivation is it, they're not looking it up to get an A. They're looking it up because they really want to know something. Yeah, and that's very hard. It's it's a huge leap of faith, and I think the farther you get away from the classroom, it the more it it just seems impossible that you can. Have kids learn content by not teaching them content. And I think teachers yeah. know it, but, you know, it's we've scary. got people pulling the, the strings at a, a very far removed from the classroom and they don't get it. And it's, it's, you know, I think a lot of people who aren't in the classroom look at games as sort of some sort of magic wand yeah. that, that's just, it's just going to solve everything. And the kids are going to magically be interested and learn, you know, facts about the Civil War by playing games. And it's just like, that's just another silly idea. That's not going to happen. So I don't blame a lot of teachers for ignoring games. I I think the way they've been presented is is so full of hype and so full of unrealistic expectations. Uh, You know, I I think I would be ignoring it, too. Yeah, and I I don't think I'd want... All teachers playing games. You need a variety. Right. I'm on a t- team of teachers, and we're a three-person team, and each of us has a different style. 
we do things differently. And I think that's a benefit to the children because if we all were the same, that'd be so boring. It gets so boring. Well, so, you know, we always talk about we want autonomous, empowered students, and I don't think you can have empowered students if you don't have empowered teachers. And that yeah. means letting them make choices about what happens in their classroom and being accountable and, you know, checking up on them and all that kind of stuff. But that takes leadership of a yeah. very different kind yeah. than just handing out a script and everyone's on the same page, you know, at Thursday at 10 a.m. Mm. Jerry, you were going to say, I'm sorry, Jerry. No, no, I was going to say, Zach, I think the reason it works so well in your classroom, and this goes with exactly what you guys were saying, maybe it shouldn't be all teachers using games. I think the reason it works so well in your classroom is the honesty with which you approach it and the honesty with which you approach games in your classroom. Because, you know, like we were saying, you, you can't fool kids with games you know, about what they're going to be learning. Like, hey, this game, you know, it's not going to teach you anything. It's just a fun game and try to, you know, sneak sneak information in the back door because this is all kids. Yeah, it's yeah. all kids do. You know, you're trying to fool right. the professional. So I, I think yeah. your honesty with that, you know, and especially with civilization is, is what, you know, really leads to the good things in your well, classroom. You know, I mean, think about it. Have you ever seen a game advertised as being easy? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, that would point. be silly. Yeah. They, this is hard. You'll never master it. You know, it's like, oh yeah, watch me. You know, Seymour Papert coined a term. He's, he said games were hard fun. And he said programming was hard fun. You know, that, that kids will rise to the occasion if you give them challenges, engage their interests in things that they're interested in, not because you tell them to be interested in them. And I think, you know, to, for me, the discussion of games always leads to, kids building their own games and programming and just programming in general because this is complete agency this is complete control over this most powerful thing in the world the the computer and i i think we're doing a great disservice to kids by not having programming be a formal part of of academics in school and oh. i know people are scared of it i know teachers think they can't teach it but they can i've seen teachers who swore they couldn't, you know, do anything like that. Just learn how um, to teach programming languages. And there's a thousand programming languages for every kind of teacher, every kind of classroom, every mm-hmm. grade level. That's completely appropriate for um, the way kids learn and, and really strengthening those aspects. And it's, it, there's so many connections to other, it's not just, it's, it's not just computer programming. I mean, you can learn other skills through computer programming. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and it leads to, well, really all subject areas. I mean, you can touch Absolutely. every single subject area. You know, one thing that I was introduced, was it last year? Uh, Lego Mindstorm. Mm-hmm. And not knowing that there's simple programming in moving the machinery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yes and no functions. And it's just, kid, one of my students created a, um, a password color, color coded password protection for like a safe. So you had to do a color code combination and recognize the colors with a camera and it would recognize those colors and you had to put it in a certain sequence and then the door would open with a, mm-hmm. you know, a little treasure inside. And he showed me the program and of how to do that. I was like, this is basic computer programming. I'm just, right. you know, right. yes and no functions. And I just like, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we, we used to have a Lego, uh, 
the Lego clubs, you know, the um, uh, robotics, like the robotics right. clubs. I mean, that, oh, there's so much. That's a lot of fun. But there's an outcome. I mean, you're working on, right. you know, the, there kind of is a secret agenda there. You're doing something. So, yeah, they're working really hard because they want to accomplish something. Right. Uh, and some games do that, too. When, like, I the BBC games, which we've talked about before, I've had some really intelligent kids try to do it's it's the pyramid builder, and it has some variations. It kind of does some random events, and I have a kid. Kids might go through it ten times, and they get so frustrated. They get so frustrated, mm-hmm. but they won't quit. They are going to get this right mm-hmm. uh, if it's the last thing they do. And when they do, I get kids jumping and high fiving each mm-hmm. other because they've accomplished something that wasn't easy that's and i think fun. you know that's that's great and and as a teacher you you learn to to see those those moments and understand i know gary stager talks about the difference between mouth up found frustration and mouth down frustration you know you never want to yes. leave a kid frustrated just for the sake of you know you're going to work through this problem yeah you want the mouth up frustration where yeah. they can't wait to solve a problem right. and teachers you can see sometimes just when these things are going to happen and they're going to have a breakthrough and it's you have to learn not to walk over and help them right uh, oh it's tough when they're going to have these breakthroughs but that takes time that that's a learning yeah. experience as a teacher that you know the game doesn't know <laughs> that you're about to, you know. Oh, we but, better let them through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, they're about to cry. You know, we better open. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that might be a good game. I don't know. You yeah. know, but, but teachers teachers learn those kinds of the, those kinds of signals that kids give, and you know, I, I know there have been studies done of of American teachers versus teachers around the world, and you know, they've shown that American teachers talk more. And they answer their own questions oh, more geez. quickly than anywhere around the yeah. world. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's kind of this, we've got to rush through stuff. So I'm just going to help yeah. you get to the answer faster. Oh, and man. that's not the way the brain works. No. I do like, what was that frown down, frown up? Gary's, yeah, talks about mouth up frustration, mouth, mouth down up. frustration. Oh, goodness. I got to write that down. Yeah. Mouth down, mouth up. Because I tell you what, and the kids would, <laughs> some of them like, why? Why are you smiling? Why are you laughing at my fr- <laughs> my frustration? <laughs> and it's just like I, I'm I'm just enjoying what I'm watching here. They get oh, they, you could see the steam coming out, but they were so it's but it's the mouth up, right? Is uh-huh. that what it is? Mouth up uh-huh. frustration because once they get it, they oh, they're so ecstatic. It's yeah, it, it, those are wonderful teaching moments. Wonderful. It's, so it's what you want learning to be? Yes. Yes, because that's that's how you learn. You, mm-hmm. you, I have this Michael Jordan poster um, in my classroom. You know, it says uh, he's missed like three hundred game-winning shots or something like that. You know, he's he's mm-hmm. you know lost how many times in his career? He's failed over and over and over again, and that is why he succeeds. So mm-hmm. that's one of those mantras that I I really like because you. You, you, you're going to fail at times, uh, mm-hmm. but you're going to get better because of it. Uh, it's not like we go out there and say, I'm going to fail today. No, right. but, um, oh. but you keep trying. <laughs> that, that's, that's a bumper sticker. 
<laughs> I'm oh, I, going I, to go fail today. You know, I think it also ties back into the concept of tinkering, whether you're tinkering, tinkering with a program or tinkering with a game or tinkering with a math concept that you, you know, you're, you're sort of like running it around in your mind and how can I solve this problem? You know, we don't give kids a lot of time to sort of play with concepts and, you know, think about things. This issue of time is really critical. Yeah. in schools and you know we we, we have to well, change a lot of stuff <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna throw i'm gonna throw a, a little a different twist too and i don't know where this comes from but uh <laughs> and if some of my students are listening <laughs> um you know spoon feeding mm-hmm. um they want to be spoon fed they you know what chapter is rome and it's just like I don't know. Uh, there's a uh, an index, uh, you know, table of contents. Uh, you know, why, why don't you look it up? And it's like it's chapter five. What page is that on? Uh, it's af- <laughs> after chapter four. <laughs> look at the bottom. And they they want to be spoon fed. And I don't know if that comes from being kind of babied all along the way. And I'm not saying parents, uh, you know, or, or it could be teachers, like you said. Mm-hmm. We answer our own questions quickly. Uh, you know they're always providing help, and I feel like I'm just pulling the the rug out from under them. But I, I'm hoping it's for a positive because they they need to learn this independence. They can't I can't be with them for the rest of my life. Well, you know, I would assume too that probably your best students or your most you know your straight A students probably oh. have the most difficulty with it because i mean school is a game they've learned to play the game they're the yeah. winners they've yeah. got it down and now you're changing the rules yeah how and you that's have not some... fair <laughs> oh, yeah I, i'm making them oh my goodness yeah i'm making them do what you know is expected of them um you, you have some independent you know high-end students and you have some that are you know it, it runs the gamut but it's mm-hmm. there's a, it goes across the board of of just being handheld and just from like I said, just from, you know, what page is it on? I'm <laughs> just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> That's, well, I think one of the one of the areas where this happens um, the most is in math. And I, you know, from the very beginning, when we start teaching kids math, we start spoon feeding them the step by step procedures, the algorithms, the this is how you you carry the one and this is how you borrow. And and I think that that math is is such a basis of how you think about the world in a scientific and logical way and we don't let kids develop a sense of numeracy and a sense of mastery over that because we're constantly telling them the six tricks to solve the problem the foil method the you know the the secret mnemonic where it spells out whatever it is you know you're trying to do please and, excuse my dear aunt sally <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Please excuse yeah. my appearance. I know. <laughs> so, it, it, you know, I think I think that's something that really harms a lot of kids' sense of their their ability to understand the world in a in a an accurate and precise way. Um, I, I I'm real, you know, I have the, <laughs> I have a lot of opinions about math education too, but. Um, you know, I, I think we do a disservice to kids when we when we constantly tell them the right answer and the way to get the right answer. Instead of here's the problem, try to figure yeah, it out. There are lots of interesting problems that kids at any age can grapple with. Um, you know, some of some of the just simple things like describing your the world around you and predicting things and telling a story with numbers. 
And, you know, there's not only one way to do things. You know, the oh, whole, yep. the whole carry the one thing, that's a completely U.S. textbook thing. <laughs> they don't teach it in other countries. It's not yeah. the way people really do math. I mean, if I <laughs> asked you to, to add what's, you know, what's 125 and 217, you'd probably start like adding little parts and pieces and adding up the twos and the three. You wouldn't start thinking, well, seven and five and carry the one and two. You know, you wouldn't start yeah. that way. Yeah. That's a that's an artifact of a paper and pencil technology. Yeah. And it's not about the brain, it's not about numeracy, and yet we trap kids into these things and then get mad at them because they're not problem solvers. Right. Wow. Okay. So I think we've covered <laughs> we, our time is, think, is, is getting close there. Everything. What's that? I think we've covered everything. Well, we didn't cover uh, one thing, and you, you have the Generation Generation Yes website, mm-hmm. but you also have another new website that you just started, and what's yep. what's that website? So that's a, a wiki I built to support um, this games and education concept. Um, you guys are going to put up links, I'm sure. Yes. Right. So it's, it's a, it's a Wikispaces, uh, wiki. It's, it's gamesinedresources.wikispaces.com, but uh, the link will be, I'm sure, easy to find with this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just collected a lot of resources about using games in the classroom. There's a 20 minute video presentation that sort of talks about different types of games and how they're used. Lots of links to research, you know, civilization in the classroom has had amazing research done around it. Um, there's a paper I wrote about the economics of game design for, for classroom use, talking about, you know, the, the, how it's really difficult to build, to develop games at the, at the scale that we need for the classroom and how that influences design. So there's a lot of resources there and I, I just sort of put it on a new wiki and I'm gonna, you know, keep track of it there. Okay. That's wonderful. Um, Jerry? You there? I am here. <laughs> I feel There's bad there. for you, man. He's, it's he's, okay. Uh, I'm used yeah. to it. No, stop it. Stop <laughs> no, it. yeah. No, you know what? There's, um, there was such amazing conversation, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to interrupt the flow that was going on because. Uh... Okay, Larry King. <laughs> I just, thought, I just thought <laughs> he's it was snapping awesome. his suspenders. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, this is great. I'm just kind of skimming through the uh, um, games and edge, uh, games and ed. Was it Games and Ed Resource Wiki? And uh, yeah, we're, we'll definitely put that on there. Is there any others? Uh, you want the Generation Yes? Sure. The Games and, and Education. Uh, you could probably go straight to the free resources site. You know, do the top level and the link directly to the free resources because that's we have all kinds of white papers about authentic tech literacy and you know uh, these like the student laptop white paper I talked about and some different webinars and presentations and things so and I'll, I'll definitely have to really dig into those because that's we're moving in that direction and i definitely have some thoughts on you know i think one-to-one is is can be good um but i'm kind of as we talked about before i i like collaboration so i don't necessarily want all my students to have a device um mm-hmm. you know that's like i said it, it could be changing over time but I really like the collaboration piece where uh, you might have one device for two kids or three kids, and, and they're they're using all different types of resources to come up with a an answer to some type of problem or question. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, it, it seems to be 
a big movement, you know, the one-to-one. Well, so is that- it's certainly coming. You know, I can't, no one can deny that, that kids are going to be bringing their own devices into schools, yeah. you know, if, even if school doesn't provide them. And, you know, we, we can't expect that education is going to change just by us going shopping. You know, I've, I've yeah. said this before. Education reform, it, it, you can't buy it. It's a, it's a process. And just because it's easy to go out and buy something, that's going to change nothing. If everything else stays the same, th- those, those computers, those phones, those whatever it is you buy, not going to change a- a- anything. So yeah. it's a much bigger conversation than, you know, Linux or Mac or Windows or netbooks or phones. I mean, it, it's, it's fun to talk about that stuff. I, yeah. You know, I love talking about what's the latest app? What's the latest this? Yeah. You know, but that's not what's going to change education. Right. And, and don't get me wrong. I, I think every student needs a device. You know, the, we all need to have the ability to use a device like that for resources and gaming or whatever you want to use it for. But I don't necessarily think that everybody needs it out all the time within a classroom. So, um, and I, I've well, I'm seen a big s- believer in teacher autonomy. You know, if, if, if that's, I, I think teachers have enormous power and they, they need to flex. Cyloning again. Are we Cyloning? <laughs> yes. I mean, Sorry. Okay. I'll, I'll do the same thing I did before. Okay. Let's see if that. I'll make sure I keep this in. <laughs> Under my desk, so I'm just sort of... It's all good. Trying to, there we go. How's that? You there? Better? Yes. Okay. I don't know what it is. It's Isn't that weird. funny? It is weird. It must be a California thing. It must be. It must be. <laughs> After we've talked to the East Coast. We've talked, you know, in Midwest. No sideloning. No. <laughs> it's the home of, you know, the Hollywood make-believe and special effects. So maybe somebody's <laughs> doing something and I'm just, you know... Battlestar Galactica, I'm all over it. It, it could be, you know, they could be, it's the home of, of Hollywood, so. There you go. There you go. Well, I think we, uh, I think we'll leave it at that. <laughs> I think that one to one could be, that could be a whole conversation because that's, that's still something I'm learning about trying to get my, my head around it. Oh, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, love devices, but, um. Well, I don't think try- there's any question. I think schools have a limited window where, you know, they either have to decide what they're going to do because the kids are going to show up with the stuff. Yeah. So you might as well figure it out now. <laughs> yeah. It's management and there's, there's a lot of, oh, it's, there's a lot of crazy things to think about. So mm-hmm. I think we will leave it at that. Uh, this is wonderful. It, it was far better than, you know, I was expecting very high and it, it was, it surpassed it. I, it's, uh, a wonderful thing. Well, you know, when you have a notable intellectual, I I know a notable show. intellectual. I I had to live up to that. Wow. Yes, you did. So that was, a business card. Where, where did you make that up from? Uh, that is part of my ADHD. That uh, I have many different things going on in my head, and you think I'm joking about it? I do. I am a ADHD. I do have many things going on in my head at one time, so it can be good and bad. It is a gift. So uh, <laughs> thank you all for listening to this week's Ed Gamer podcast. Please follow us on edreach.us and also follow all the great podcasts and our notable intellectual Sylvia Martinez and blog posts on the EdReach network. We've we got to get you some stuff on there. That's what we need to do. Yep. We need to have you put a post on there, okay. Sylvia. We gotta, we gotta figure that out. I'm sure Scott and Dan would love to have that happen. So, 
Uh, as for me, Zach and Jerry and Sylvia, have a great week. Thanks for Thank listening. You.